Okay, hi. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Can you see me now? Brother, good day. This is not to draw attention to myself. So draw attention to the Word of God. That's what we're going to start with. We're going to have a great time in the Word of God today. I hope we're going to have a great time. I've been worrying about this all week, thinking about it, worrying about it. This morning, one of the ladies in the group who is almost taller than me educated me a little bit on it. It was kind of like she was my research assistant whom I need. And she was coaching me on some of the things that in the Bible study she attends, they had studied and that they had learned a little bit about Romans 8. So thank you for that. I won't call any names because I get in trouble when I do that. I get flamingos in my front yard. I don't even have a front yard, so that's, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't it a great day? Don't you just get fired up when you come here and you see the worship team up here? They got shirts that they hoard and won't give to anybody else, but it's just a lot of fun. It's fun coming here and being here. Uh, we say on our sign outside, this is our home. This can be your home too. It should be your home. If you're here this morning, welcome home. It's a great day. It's a wonderful time. And I, I just want to start and talk about last week. I uh, kind of wandered in, if you thought, maybe, to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to wander in there again. Same passages as last week. So if you want to open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Um, I'm really going to focus on one verse this morning. Verse 31, Romans 8, 31. If you were here last week, and I know that all of you remember every point that I made, that is a wonderful thing. I said that God so loved us that he foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. And if you have a question about that, ask one of your neighbors, somebody sitting in the same aisle you're in. Ask anybody. It's, these are the probably five of the biggest things that God did for us. And in the moment we believed in him, pum. It's what you call a punctilier event. Which one came first? We don't know. Which one came second? We don't know. What difference does it matter? Because in God's eyes, it's been done. He loves us so much. Even though he foreknew us when he knew what we were going to be like. I, I could have pointed out a few of you to him that would have helped him. He never asked me, <laughs> praise God. But I want to talk this morning about verse 31 because uh, it it's goes like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, amen, who is against us? There's a number of people out there that are against us, but I'm just going to focus on four aspects of who is against us. And and you can read on down through uh, Romans chapter 8, and Paul says uh, in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death, this, these are not on the screen, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Everything but God has been created. 
Nothing that has been created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Doesn't that give you a thrill? Nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine how Lazarus, if you've read your Bible, you know about Lazarus. He came screaming out of the, to- of the tomb when the Lord said, Lazarus, get your sorry self up, buddy, and come out here. That's not what the Lord said. He just said, Lazarus. One person, one preacher I heard one time said, if, if he had spoken it any louder, every tomb in the world would have been empty. Because that's how God is. That's the authority he has. That's the power he has. That's the love he has. One day, he's going to say, Corbett, <sighs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping he doesn't tarry too long. You know, there's some better people, eh? Ken and Wayne and Joel and all you good guys, he's going to call first. But don't worry, I'm going to be in, the, in that little place yelling, what about me? Enough. If God is for us, who can be against us? Newsflash. Someone may kill you. You may catch a deadly disease. You may have an accident. You possibly would physically die. But that is not the end of you. (laughs) I'm so happy. It's going to be better in a little while. We get such a feeling. We visualize the picture of death as a university professor with a big hooded sweat t-shirt or robe or something. With a long bony finger and a really sharp fingernail pointing at us. That's death. You're going to die. You're going to die. God says, sit down, idiot, because God is in control. And when we die, as he's written in Scripture in a number of places, death has no hold on us. Death can't sting us. Death can't slap us. Death can't do anything. We're just going to, in a sense, go to sleep and wake up in the arms of Christ, wake up in his presence. So whatever that doorway that we have to walk through that's called death, death no longer controls us. Jesus said death, he's taken the keys of death and he's taken the keys of hell. He already had the keys of everything else. He's in control. And I just want us to be confirmed in that this morning. COVID can go back into the box that it came out of. Car accidents, house fires, tornadoes, all those things can happen to us. But God is still in control. Paul says, let it flow because whatever happens here is not going to be as good as what's going to happen there. I just want to plant this seed in your mind that if God is for us, what can be against us? Here's the deal. God has a plan for you and me in heaven. We think about we're going to be doing something here because he says he created us for good works, which he predestined beforehand. What about heaven? We're going to be with him for eternity. You're going to think we'll be eating cupcakes and eating ice cream the rest of heaven? No, he has a plan for us. And one of the preachers I used to hear said, what we're doing now, this is training for reigning. We will reign with. I'm so excited about that. I, 
Fear is not a word that the Christian could use to describe him or herself. Reverence, maybe, but not fear. We all get nervous about dying. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Luke 12, 25. Which of you, by worrying? The answer is nobody. Which of you has numbered the hairs on your hair? It says in Scripture, in, in Matthew 10, 29 and 30, are two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Listen, this means if I lose a hair, he not only knows that I no longer have a bazillion hairs, he knows the number of the hair that fell out. Number 13. Right there. God knows us so intimately. And two sparrows sold for a cent... You're more valuable than many sparrows. He says that death has no power over us. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. The soul, if you... I'm just going to kind of try to explain this to you in a weird way, but the soul is the part that you can see when we die that God sees. Our spirit and our soul are inseparable, but he says the word of God is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the soul and the spirit. But he can't do that because he wants us both. He wants our soul. When we get to heaven, you're going to see me and my soul until we get our resurrected bodies. You can't see a spirit, but you can see my soul, and God can see your soul. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. And God never said it was going to be easy. I'm just kind of going through some of this because I want you to know the truth about Scripture. And sometimes we don't go through these things like we should. God never said I wouldn't suffer. In fact, through the Apostle Paul, he said in Philippians 1, chapter, verse 29, For to you it has been granted for the Christ's sake not only to believe in him, wait for it, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. How did he suffer? They didn't like him. He was God incarnate. What do you think we're going to get away with? We're going to have to do our part to suffer. It has been granted. We have been privileged to suffer. We don't use words other people use. We don't say things or, or look at things or read things that other people do. Why? Because we're trying to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. God loves us. If God is for us, who is against us? The first enemy of man is us. Man. Man, ever since uh, Cain and Abel had a little disagreement out in the field and Cain rose up and killed his brother, man has con had conflict with man. Hebrews talks about this when you read in Hebrews chapter 11 and 
two of the most uh, stirring verses in that chapter. It says about men, hurting men. It said they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Why? Because they had faith in Christ. And they were tortured and punished and whacked. Because they wouldn't bow the knee to anybody but Jesus. Anybody to the holy God. The prophets were punished. They were, many of the prophets were killed in the temple and the tabernacle, the holy place in Jerusalem. Some people have no shame. The early church fathers were burned at the stake. The apostles of the Lord were killed and crucified and beheaded. Evangelists across the world have been killed, shot, buried alive. Christians through the century have been sorely mistreated by other men, by other people. And you know, one of the preachers of the old days, uh, Charles Spurgeon, used to say, we all want to have a big church. We all want to do things together and be part of each other and be a part of one another. But the reality is, he said, numbers don't matter. Sometimes it's better if there are just two or three of us. Because we can get closer. Our hearts can touch quicker. We can understand what God is doing. Consider the church during the lockdowns. People want to deal with us. Men wanted to shut us down. You know, the church had fewer privileges than the liquor store. Take that and put it in your pipe and... But don't smoke it. We're not Baptists anymore. The church had more privileges than a liquor store. The world or the men are our enemy. And they try to do things. And the minister or the person of God has to defend against that. When he said turn the other cheek, he didn't say turn the other cheek and let them slaughter you or run over you or treat you meanly or those kind of things. We can talk about that when we look at the Sermon on the Mount. No matter how slick or how oily some people get, we never ever turn our back on God to serve men or worship them. The second person that is uh, against us is the world. The world is out there. The world is the space. The difference between the world and us is we are Christians. We live in. We are ambassadors to Christ. We live in a different place. This is not our home, and we know that. The world thinks this is home. The world is controlled by a different king. The king of kings is not their king, but the, the king of this present earth, the devil, as Jesus called him, the prince of this earth, the world. And John says in the world, about the world, in First John 2, he says in verses 15 through 17, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, he said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But no one who does the will of God will pass away, will live forever. The world. You see a man and his strength and his power, and that's attractive and makes people lust. And a woman with her curves makes people lust. And a new car, shiny, with all the metal and power, makes people lust and covet and do all the things that God says not to do. Don't do it. That's what we're training ourselves not to do. Because we know that they're trying to set us up to disgrace our Lord, disgrace ourselves, disgrace our testimony. The world is our enemy. And beloved, we now live in enemy country. Because it's not getting better. It's not getting better. One pastor from the Catholic Church was just defrocked for being so pro-life that he didn't meet the requirements of the Catholic Church, so they, they took his uh, ordination away. Many times we let the world take away our excitement, take away our enthusiasm, say, we never done it that way before, or we don't have enough money to do it that way, or what were we thinking? We were following Christ's leading in us, right? We're following the fire that he puts in us and says, go do this. We were following what we knew to be true and we wouldn't commit to do it. And I know all of us that have children can look at different situations when we're dealing with our kids and we fail to do what God told us to do, not them. So we have man is against us and the world is against us and the flesh is against us. I know you're going to quote to me uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 for whoever believes in Christ is a new creature, new creation, new person. True. But the on, we're not, God says in this moment you are saved, you are called, you are justified, I'm glorifying you but I didn't going to make you, no, that's not good language. That's hillbilly talk so let me go back. But I don't want you to think I'm making you perfect. Not yet. The final step in our sanctification is glorification. When we stand in the presence of the Lord, He then will make us perfect. But until then, we have this flesh. The flesh is still hanging there. Inside, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yay! And He goes with me everywhere I go. He sees everything I do. I can't hide a stinking thing from Him. But my flesh, and it says, and if you read on in Romans 8 earlier, it says that the flesh wars against the spirit. Not my spirit, but the spirit who lives in me. I'm here, and I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And my flesh and the spirit are having this tug of war. It's not the white dog and the black dog. It's the flesh and the devil that are working against us. They both work against us. 
But my flesh is me, and I'm responsible for getting that under control. That's what sanctification is, getting my flesh under control. Why do you... Why do you stop and look away from some situations when you know you should? Because the Spirit of God says look away. The Spirit of God has taught you to look away. And when we continue to look, we're looking at a 40-roll combine. That puppy is beautiful. It's, what is it, John Deere Green or is it uh, something else? Huh? Yeah. It's beautiful. That puppy is there. We could have it. We could do everything. We're going to put our family in so much debt. We'll never get out of it. Boy, I like the way that thing looks. You could say the same thing about a car. You could say the same thing about, lots of people say it about big screen TVs. God says, don't do it. Don't put yourself in that position. Listen to my word. Know that the world is trying to make you something that you're not. Romans 8, 5, and 6 say this. For those who are according to the flesh, that means they don't believe yet in Jesus Christ, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Remember that we are not susceptible to death. We have life and peace. So why do we want to set our, our mind on the flesh or the things of the flesh and expose ourselves to that sickness? Paul says in Galatians 5, But I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Amen. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, capital S spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And remember what the law does. The law tells you what sin is and points you to Jesus Christ. So if we're not sinning, we're not under the law. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if you don't understand. Well, the law was given so that we would know what was the difference between right and wrong. If somebody didn't put a sign up that said, this is a 30-mile-an-hour zone, I'm doing 80, and I don't know the difference. Right? That's the, hopefully that explains it. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here's the deeds of my flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, actions of envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. What are, you know, this, somebody reads that and says, wow, that's all the fun things. Paul says don't do them because when you do them, you're showing that you are not a child of God and that if you're living that way, you're showing that you are a child of God. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And somebody said, how do you practice all that sin? How does a doctor practice being a doctor? Every day you get up, go to work, practice your medicine that you've been taught, read a few journals, learn something new, Go on. 
and person living in sin does exactly the same thing. They live in sin. They get up. They read a few journals. They read a few magazines maybe that don't have anything to do with God. They allow themselves to get involved in relationships that don't have anything to do with God. fruit of the Spirit, though, is not sin. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We crucify it by sanctifying it. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to put that away. And, and to just help you imagine some of this stuff, when I, when I was, I'll use me as an example because I'm a good one. When I was first saved, I had a list of things that I did wrong about this deep. And a good friend of mine who took me under his wing and, and mentored me for a long time said, don't try to solve the whole stack at once. Start at the top. That's where the filth is. And you just start working your way down. And pretty soon, that was the most heinous thing that I ever did. I, I can't do that anymore. Pretty soon, I'm getting a little bit further down, and these things that were on the bottom that didn't seem like bad to me suddenly become sin against God. I have to stop. I can't cheat. I can't lie. I can't tell my wife one thing when it's not true. Because then I'm practicing the things I don't want to do. My flesh is against me. Men are against us. The world is against us. And my flesh is against me. Some people say, well, it's my, this is my body. I'll do with it what I want to do. <laughs> if you have been purchased with a price, this is no longer your body. It's the house of the Lord. And what you do to it, you're doing to the house of the Lord. One place in Scripture, a couple places say, you are to be a good steward of this body. That means that you are to mow the grass, you are to paint the outside, you are to make it nice, take care of it, and don't let it wallow in a cesspool of sin. Amen? In another place it says, if I see you wallowing in a cesspool of sin, I'm supposed to come over there and take you and pull you out and if you see me doing it you're supposed to come over and take me and pull me out final thing I want to talk about this morning is our enemy is the devil contrary to popular belief the enemy doesn't know everything but he knows where we show weakness and he plans to use that weakness against us Peter describes him this way. The devil, he said, be of sober spirit, you guys. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. He comes with a soft voice initially. Wants to talk. Oh, that's not a big deal. He's sweet. Did God really say that? It's, it'll, it'll make you happy. And then pretty soon he's pulling you closer and 
the roaring lion. This is not the lion of Judah, as they called Jesus. This is not the lion that was described in C.S. Lewis's novels. This is the roaring lion. And pretty soon he comes up and he gets you to do sin and he gets you to do a little more sin. And before you know it, he's got his big jaws clamped right around you and he's dragging you right through the gates of hell because you never believed in Christ. You never turned from your sinful wife. Life. If you had believed in Christ, you would have. But just imagine those big jaws. <laughs> I got me one. <laughs> Pulling somebody right into the jaws of hell. That's what the devil wants to do. That's what the, the, all the enemies of the Christian are trying to do is to confuse us, to destroy our testimony, to make Christ look bad because of us. Maybe they can't get you into hell, but he can sure make sure that you don't help anybody else get there either because of the way you behave. Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Man, the world, the flesh, and evil personified by the devil. For our life is in Christ, and he bought us with his broken body and his poured out blood. When we rely on him, he rescues us from the crushing forces of sin and death. He considers you more worthy than sin. He considers you more worthy than anything. He considers you more worthy for the joy set before you. One day when we sit with him in heaven we'll not even think about the sinful earth that we've left the most exciting and pleasing part of this verse if God is for you who can be against you and the answer to that is simple no one no one I mean, they're out there, don't get me wrong. And we'll still have to endure in this life. But our soul and our spirit and our ultimate uh, resurrected body are saved by grace for eternity. And God has a plan for you in eternity. And God has a plan for you right now. Some of us have five-year-old and eight-year-old daughters. In fact, I just met a lady like that this morning. The way we live shows them how they should live. <clears throat> God is not our enemy, but He promises that He will defeat all our enemies if we will submit to Him. Amen. So I'm just going to ask the worship team to come back. And as they're coming back and they're getting ready to a closing song, would you just think about some of these words? Think about the fact that maybe there's some one of these enemies that I've mentioned that has a toehold in your life. Think about saying, well, yeah, Pastor Corbett, he's a little fellow, but he gets pretty active. Just say to that toehold, get Amscray on the leg, get out of here. For those of you who don't understand that, that just means go. In the Greek, that's emphatic. Tell it. 
Say, I commit. And tomorrow when you get up and you realize you've done it again, ask God to forgive you again. Ask Him to help you forget. And ask Him to help you move away from it. You see, He doesn't want you sinning more than you do. But by His Spirit, He's got the power to pull you out of it. And if you ask Him, it will be done. Worship team.